Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Sunday. Happy Sunday to you and happy end of season two day. Yeah. I'm and and end so of delighted. day. Yeah. <laughs> what a treat it has been. Yes, to sprint through Star Trek Discovery. It's been it's very uh, confusing as we were just talking. Like now we're time is all folding in on itself at the end here. So fortunately I have my my notes that lay everything out before us so we can track the causalities or just talk about how cool stuff is. Mm. Whatever. Welcome everyone out there uh, watching and or listening to Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. <laughs> Today, <laughs> our star date is uh, <laughs> 21011.6. Uh, today we'll be discussing the season finale of season two, Star Trek Discovery. Such Sweet Sour, Parts 1 and 2. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. It's time to run it down. Can you run it down for me? What just happened? Can you run it down for me? Let me place my Set Facers brand mug down on my desk here, and we shall begin. <laughs> okay, so season thir- episode 13 begins with Sarek in deep meditation somewhere on Vulcan, presumably, because mm. it's very auburn, yes. very autumnal, as Vulcan is wont to be. And Amanda shows up and gives him some tea, and he's got incense going, and she looks at him with concern, and then she starts to walk away, and then his eyes open, and he says, Michael. Uh, because, as you may recall, in the last episode, we left Discovery in a lurch. They could not destroy the sphere data, and... Um, they had just gotten a raw time crystal, but they didn't quite know what they were going to do with it. And just as they were coming to all this revelation, uh, thirty Section 31 chips showed up on their long-range scanners, and the, they were all converging on Discovery's location. And so they decided there's only one way to save uh, all sentient life in the galaxy— and that is to destroy the sphere data because that's what control the computer wants and wants the AI information so it can become a super smart sentient being. So they decide they have to destroy Discovery, which is the only place where the sphere data exists. So Pike calls Enterprise. He tells him to get there on the double. He begins evacuation procedures and he's going to do the self-destruct. So when we arrive on Disco here in episode 13, uh, basically, everyone is going crazy, grabbing stuff. They're grabbing photos and memories and whatever they can shove into a suitcase. Not all of their stuff, but like, you know, pictures. And Saru grabs his sister's knife. And, you know, people are grabbing their things and they're basically getting ready for Enterprise to show up, which it does. And then the two ships dock. And then everyone basically goes. The bridge crew sets up everything and then they walk off the bridge. Uh, Michael is looking at the time crystal because she's got to pack it up and basically Pike comes in and she sort of is despondent that they're going to leave and that they have more work to do and there's something more they could be doing. And he says, we don't know what our, what our, what our role is yet. We just need to be ready when it is time. And he says, so get that packed up and I'll meet you on the enterprise. He walks out, Michael, for some reason, <laughs> instead of using forceps or something, grabs the time crystal to move it into its transport box and so she is transported to a future of mayhem and destruction, people screaming and explosions on the ship. Okay, so what she sees in her vision is mayhem and destruction, people dying, ships exploding, and there's a torpedo lodge in the Enterprise. It looks very grim. Uh, but then we flash to Saru and Pike, and they're setting the remote auto self-destruct. And they you know, have to do it. It's the captain and first officer have to do it in unison. And then they go on to the Enterprise. Uh, so on the Enterprise, the crews of the Enterprise and Discovery are mingling and people are moving places and they're 
they're working together and Pike sort of sees this and smiles. It's good to be home, one thinks. They get into a turbo lift, Pike, Saru, and Michael. And Michael notices that Saru has his sister's knife and he says it gives me, uh, it gives him like strength in times of trouble. And plus he, he knew that his sister would be upset if he left her behind. Just sweet, a sweet moment. Captain Pike enters the bridge of the Enterprise. Is this our first view of the bridge of the Enterprise in the series? I honestly can't remember if we ever saw the bridge. Is this our first view of number one? Then yes. No. Number one showed up on Discovery. Oh, that's right. And got a hamburger and french fries with jalapeno sauce. (laughs) But that's the first time we saw it was when she came to Discovery. Okay, yes. Then I think this is the first time. I think this is our first. So the Enterprise is mwa bellissima. Uh, It's gorgeous. Uh, anyway, so shiny. it's so shiny and colorful and beautiful. And uh, my heart leapt into the my mouth or something. Uh, when he comes onto the bridge, they say captain on the bridge. Everyone stands up. Admiral Cornwell is in the chair and she gives it up to Pike. She says, you have the command. Yes, Sky, I see your joke and I love it. It was a true enterprise. Um. They're alerted to the fact that the Armada is picking up speed. And uh, so they all are on the Enterprise. They go to a safe distance. Giorgio arrives. She comes to the bridge. She hates the layout of the Enterprise. She's like, ugh, she hates the colors. Um, She mentions to Michael, oh, the nanobots. I found your your report on um, the guy that you had to kill with the nanobots on the thing in that Section 31 ship last Cameron, last episode. Very interesting. And also she expresses an extreme desire to see Leland die suffering. Uh, and I wonder at this whether or not it's just like her evil Terran nature, dun, 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 or if it's because uh, Leland is trying to kill Michael and she's feeling extreme uh, vengefulness. Because as we know, she she's pretending, but it's kind of obvious mm. that uh, she has true affection for Michael. Okay. Oh, yeah. Anyway. I was I was curious about that in this moment. Um, they initiate the auto self-destruct from a safe distance. They're ready to send the ship off, and it fails. Because remember how the sphere data saved itself from being uh, mm-hmm. deleted? It yep, also yep. is saving itself from being destroyed. Because this, the data itself is sentient. It's not evil like control. That's why control wants it, so it can use it towards evil's purposes, but it will save itself. And so they realize... That's not going to work. They try to shoot some torpedoes at the Discovery. The shields are up, even though they shouldn't be. So once again, it's the sphere data. And so the Section 31 ships are almost in range. And um, they're, uh, Michael is like, this is a weird, trippy part. I guess it's like a after effects of having touched the crystal. She's on the bridge, looking around at the situation as it is. And suddenly it all shifts into this dark future and things are exploding. The bridge is dark. They're in like a red alert. And Leland comes in through the turbo lift door and he just kills everyone and then kills Michael last of all, right? Mm. Um, I did want to mention, I put a uh, a highlight because uh, Oweshikun has a spectacular death. And I just yeah, want to give a shout does. out to her, the actress and the character because she gets yep. shot and then she slides on the thing. It was so good. Uh <laughs> But that moment for me was, do you remember watching Galaxy Quest? Yes. Yes. And the whole thing and like the, you know, this sort of sleeper guy, he's, he manages to beam on board with his gun, shoots everybody. And yes. then there's this yeah, whole yeah. thing with the time loop where they can sort of go back and fix it. And I was just like, yes. I know this is, this is Trek and it's very different, but it just reminded me of that. Yeah. Well, Galaxy Quest is based on Trek. I, mean, I know. We all know that. I mean, but it was funny uh, how yes. it went full circle and like yes. life imitating art and art and whatever. Yeah. It was almost a, like a flashback to the Harvey Mudd uh, episode. Mm. It was like, shows up, kills everyone, they did. Yes. But then Michael flashes back to the present, and she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. She says, hey, stop. Don't try to fire more missiles and get ready to fire on Section 31. It's not going to work. Uh, Leland uh, is is out there. And turning the page on my notes, they need to look for more options. Is the 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 issue is is not trying to defeat Section Thirty One. The issue is Discovery's existence is the problem. Discovery's existence in the present is the problem. Michael says, in fact, what they need to do is move the data from the sphere out of this time. 
that Discovery has to go into the future. And that's when we hit the credits. Oh yeah. So, this is when they hatch a very... This is where things get complicated. Here's the plan. They have the specs from Section 31 on the original Red Angel suit because that's what Michael's parents were working on, right? That Leland helped oversee. So they have those specs. They know how to build the suit. They also have a raw time crystal, right? But they will need someone to to uh, to pilot the suit, right? But yep. the suit, and as it was the built... the battery is dead on the time crystal right. what? well yeah the, bat, the time crystal needs to be charged the way it was originally charged was by harnessing the power of a supernova nice. so uh first things first one impossible problem at a time pike is like i'll i'll pilot the suit and then they're like we can't make the suit for you because it's keyed to uh dr dr gabrielle burnham's dna so the closest match is going to be michael so michael's gonna have to steer the, the suit and the suit will lead disco into the future the suit Disco will follow on autopilot and they will go through uh, the wormhole and they will go into the future. But as Steph mentioned, though they have a time crystal, they don't have any way to charge the time crystal. So they're going to need to like use some kind of crazy supernova to power it. And they're like, where are we going to get a supernova from? There's also some discussion as to like whether they should go with this plan or just keep running. And Pike is sort of saying, like, I believe in the red signals. I think there's intent behind the design, and Spock agrees. And just as they're wondering where they're going to get another supernova from, they're called to the bridge because, guess what? The fifth signal has shown up. That's right. So we know there's supposed to be seven signals. This is the fifth one to appear, and it's taking them to a planet that none of them have ever heard of, right? So Enterprise and Disco... People go back to their disparate ships and Discovery jumps straight to where the red signal is and Enterprise is following at fastest warp. Where do they end up? The planet of Zahia. Now, for those of us who are extreme nerds, we watched the short treks before uh, the second season of Star Trek Discovery. And I love that they hid this Easter egg in those short treks because Mm -hmm. they are sort of like about learning about the characters, but I had no idea that one episode would be the crux of the finale of season two because uh, there's an episode with Tilly where she meets a stowaway who's running away from the planet of Zahia. And that stowaway just happens to be the new queen of the planet and also an incredibly smart, like physics engineer Mm. inventor who also developed a technique to recrystallize dilithium, meaning the, the the dilithium that is used gets expended and turned into, I think, vapor. And then normally they have that's waste product, right? And then they have to get rid of the waste product and get more dilithium. But because of this person from Zahia that Tilly knows, whom we shall affectionately call Poe, because I've already removed the piece of paper that has her entire name on it, uh, has invented a way to recrystallize the dilithium. They're able to, there's no need for new dilithium, right? Okay, so Tilly will contact the Queen Poe and she will bring her on board and they will see if they can use some of that technology to help them charge up the time crystal battery. In the meantime, Stamus is down in the science lab and he's redirecting people to do all kinds of stuff because basically they're getting ready for a fight. They've now jumped way, way ahead of Section 31 ships, but they need to, they're still coming after them, right? And and Enterprise is, is only a little bit ahead of Section 31. So Samus has been tasked with overseeing the refitting of all the shuttles and, and like little ships and jumpers and drones to become part of a squadron. They all got to have weapons on them and phasers and so on and so forth because that's going to be the sort of the, the, the flotilla, for lack of a better word, in space flotilla, uh, that is going to help them make their last stand. Uh, but as he's doing that, Hugh shows up. Hugh, his erstwhile recently brought back from the dead husband who's also ship's cat, uh, doctor. And they had separated because Hugh hadn't been feeling like himself. But now Paul is saying, hey, listen, after this thing is over, when it's over, I think I might take a break from Starships. It was wrong of me to stop you from moving forward. I wanted things to be as they were. And Hugh says, it's really nice of you to say that. I'm glad you believe in forward motion. I think that's the most honest choice for both of us. And when the Enterprise catches up, Dr. Hugh Culber says, I'm going to go to the Enterprise. That way we're not, we don't have to keep running into each other like this. And, you know, so they, they uh, Samus makes an excuse to leave, essentially. Meanwhile, 
Poe comes on board. In the, the Short Treks episode, Tilly and Poe bond over ice cream. So Tilly has a big bowl of Spumoni ice cream ready for Poe when she shows up. Uh, they, tries, the Pike tries to make this formal greeting, but uh, Poe is not even hearing it. She's just so excited to see Tilly. They run, they embrace, they, they share ice cream. Uh, Michael and Pike are introduced, and then Pike is like, can you walk and eat? Because I'll get you up to speed on what's going on. So they explain all that to Poe. And then the next scene we see is basically all the troubleshooters and big shots of Discovery. So it's Pike, it's Michael, it's Poe, it's Tilly, it's Stamets, and it's, of course, Jet Reno, okay? So Poe, here's their problem. It starts doing things with a spoon in the air that no one can understand, except, of course, Jet. Jet Reno's like, oh, she's doing, she's definitely doing, like, particle physics equations in the air with her spoon. Piece of cake. She's probably trying to figure out what she can do. And so Poe says, listen, Using my recrystallization technique and dark matter, I can create a process by which dilithium reactions happen over and over again, creating the power of a supernova that can be used to power up the time crystal, right? So that's problem number two solved. We got here, we can make the suit because we have the information from Sex 31. And now we are able to power up the crystal using Poe's technology and the dark matter that we got from the weird asteroid. Okay, so... That's going to work. However, there is a fallback. There's a drawback, rather. Uh, the amount of power that is made is going to create sort of a waterfall effect. It will eventually overwhelm the time crystal and cause it to burn out, meaning that uh, once the person who's in the suit gets to the future, they will not be able to get back, right? So it's a one-way trip. So now we realize we'll never see Michael again. Um. So Michael obviously goes to tell Ash this, and Ash is very upset uh, because they're in love. But Michael makes plans to go to Terralysium. That's where they're going to jump to, where her mother's anchor point is, and they're going to have Disco autopilot behind her, and everyone else, when Enterprise shows up and they get all the shuttles in and everything, and they're starting to face off against control and Section 31, everyone else is going to clear a path so that Michael can get into the, the Red Angel jumpsuit and she can open the wormhole and her and Discovery can jump away to the future. That way, Control can never get the information. At this point, Enterprise is 57 minutes out. And Section 31 is 10 minutes behind Enterprise. Does everyone follow? Because I'm not even <laughs> sure if I'm explaining this correctly. But I'm, I think I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm with going you. with my nose. You got it, right? Yeah. So go about an hour. They got like an hour until all hell breaks loose. Poe and Tilly are working on the battery and Poe is telling her that like, this is great. Thanks for everything. Thanks for the pep talk when I met you and I've become a great queen. And also I'm not leaving the ship right away. I'm staying with you. I'm going to see how this goes, how this plays out and be part of the defense because it's the way I'm a queen that wishes to save my people and my people are part of the galaxy and it's important. Uh, Giorgio and Michael have a discussion. Giorgio is very upset that Michael is going to fling herself into the future, never to return. But she expresses that in the way that Giorgio, the terror in Giorgio can express it by being like berating Michael for having character flaws. And Michael says, we can talk about my character flaws when and if this works. Sarek and Amanda arrive. How did they know? Because the Katras of Michael and Sarek were exchanged when she was dead for over a minute. You know what I'm realizing at this moment? Michael's been dead for over a minute twice at this point in Discovery. She was dead for over a minute as a child when Sarek brought her back with a Katra, and she was dead for over a minute down oh, right. on the mm. planet when they called in the Red Angel. So whatever, Michael, you know. She's like, a, she's like a micro-hue. Well, <laughs> later on we find out that Jad Reno has nine lives, apparently. Uh, okay, so... Uh, they have a tearful goodbye and Sarek and Amanda basically express how proud they are of her and then they get back in their ship and they warp away because it's too dangerous and they are diplomats. Uh, meantime, Michael is watching her mother's logs to figure out how to use the suit, how to, how to suit, how to jump, how to figure things out. She's ordered to the bridge. 
she runs into Tilly on her way out and she was sort of saying like, I figured it wouldn't be good for me to say goodbye because we wouldn't have time to be tearful and embrace each other. And so it seemed best that we didn't see each other at all until he says, that's not the kind of people we are. And she leads Michael out into the hallway and guess who's there? Basically the entire bridge crew and some of the other folks like from engineering that we've met over the last two seasons from Discovery. And they're like, guess what? We're going into the future with you. There's no way we're going to leave you alone. Michael tries to um, like dissuade them from it. And they're like, we will not hear of it. Amongst those people are also Spock and Tyler. However, uh, because Saru's like, hey, we'd love to hear you say we don't have to do this another billion times, but we got work to do, so everyone go. Tyler takes it to the side and says, hey, I can't go with you. I need to make sure control doesn't happen again. And they have a tearful goodbye that includes some hot, 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 hot kissing. Uh, <laughs> Saru, in the meantime, leaves a message for Serana. Tilly leaves a message for her mother. Oweshikun leaves a message, I assume, for her family. Detmer leaves a, a message for her best friend, Tazzy. And Stamets leaves a message for his sibling, I think sister, but I couldn't remember if it was a sister or brother. Because that's from season one, and I just Done. didn't have time to stop. Anyway, they're all saying goodbye to the people they'll never see again because they're going into the future forever. Michael goes to the bridge. Pike's in his yellow shirt. We salute you, Pike. And Pike basically says, Discovery is going to need a new captain. And he looks back and forth between Saru and Michael. <laughs> but anyway, he says his goodbyes. Uh, he says anyone who wishes to stay on board can. Anyone who doesn't needs to get over to the Enterprise. He says he is grateful to Michael for having watched her discover her heart. And he is grateful to the crew for having been a family to him on this adventure. And then... Uh, Saru says, let's discuss the captaincy later and let's just get things going now. And so Pike leaves and he gives Saru the con, right? Okay, we're moving right along. The, as Pike is leaving, the Discovery crew does the thing that they do where you stand up and you stand at parade rest out of salute. They don't like salute. They like do the out of respect for Pike. And then Pike does that for them. And then... Uh, yeah, I bet it will have some hot, 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 hot kissing in season three. Gosh, I hope so. It's very sexy stuff. Okay, so several shuttles are getting ready for battle. And why are they ready for battle on the Enterprise? Because of number one. And a lot of people may not remember number one from the one episode of Star Trek she uh, was featured in in the original series. But uh, the relationship between Pike and number one was essentially Pike is a pretty good captain and number one is holding everything down. Mm. So she knew that all the shit was going to hit the fan. And number one in the the original series was played by Majel Barrett. Is that right? Ooh, maybe if it was. Because it looked a lot like her. I'd have to should go we, back and look. You should. Should we, should we Google it? Probably Google it. If you can Google that. Oh no, Rebecca Romagen. Okay. I stand I would be corrected. She has a, she bears a vague likeness to Michelle Barrett, but it's uh, not what I recall from. I haven't seen episode one of the original series in a few years. Anyway, they they did a pretty good job of recreating her look for mm. this new number one. But basically, number one knew that things were going to go bad, so she also outfitted all their shuttles with weaponry in anticipation of this dogfight in space. The crystal is being charged, but it's charging slower than they expected, and they can't take it out of the cage because they take it out of the cage, and everyone experiences, like, the time craziness, and they can't, like, increase the surge to the power because it would cause the whole thing to explode, and so they're trying to figure out how to do it, but right now it's not going to be charged before Leland gets there, so it's going to be pretty close. Reno volunteers to stay behind and work on the crystal, which means taking out of its casing and touching it and dealing with all the trauma the time trauma that comes from that. But she's basically like, someone's got to do it. That's the mission. The, the mission. And uh, and as they leave, uh, Reno and Stamis exchange a handshake, but say they still hate each other. Sorry, Rebecca Rumjin is the new number one. I got that wrong. It was Major, Major Barrett. Okay, well, then you were correct. That all sounds familiar. Good, good. Wow. I had to go back now because that's also, it's, it's, she's also, uh, not Pike. No, I can't remember. Counselor's name, Deanna's mother. Oh yes, um, yes. 
Deanna Troy and Luxana. Luxana Troy. Troy, yes. Luxana Troy. Well, she was also the voice of the computer. Yes, she's. Oh, I mean, like I'm surprised Gene Roddenberry would have cut her out as number one in the original series, given he was married to her. But then she was pretty much. I mean, she's been in every iteration almost of most tracks. Va- vaguely every iteration up until this one, essentially. Yeah. And she has an, an ode to her in number one. Mm. But yeah, that is interesting. I don't I don't know that I've ever looked into the reasons why they reshaped the crew and recast the captain and sort of changed Spock's demeanor, but uh, it's vastly different between the first episode yeah. and the second episode. In any case, uh, so uh, when Reno touches the crystal, she sees the same uh, terror and mayhem that Michael saw and the torpedo wedged in the thing. Saru declares a red alert. The shuttles are launched. Giorgio transports Ash and Pike to the Enterprise. And there was a cute moment here when just as she en- energizes the the transporter, she says to Pike, I'm a Terran, by the way, from your mirror universe. And Pike says, what mirror universe? And then he winks at her. I thought that was... Really I like nice. that moment. Yeah, it's cool. Um, Leland's fleet arrives and they they surround both of the... Of the Star Trek ships, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned their communications are jammed, which is why they're not able to speak to the rest of Starfleet Command. Pike arrives on the bridge of the Enterprise. Tyler says, you got to trust me one more time. There's a thing I got to do before all this gets started. Uh, and that, and the rest of it is just people looking around and seeing all the ships show up, so they are preparing for battle. That is the end of part one Good job. of Such Sweet Sorrow. Yeah. Sadly, that was the short one. Although this one is just very in, there's a lot of uh, just action high, time intense mm. <laughs> in part two i will say about the second episode just the cinematography was awesome and i wished i could have seen that in a movie theater oh yeah it's like it was made for imax yeah and uh and i did notice um you know not getting too ahead of ourselves the this arc across the two seasons sort of ends as it began with michael alone in a suit doing a spacewalk mm. one of the coolest things from season one was that yeah. first spacewalk to the, the Klingon ship of the dead and then here's Michael's red angel shooting uh, off yeah shooting off into unknown times and places undiscovered country boldly going boldly going where Indeed. no one has gone before mm-hmm. true except her mom well I suppose yeah. <laughs> her mom was there first fine <laughs> Boldly going where only one person has gone before. Go boldly going where my mom went. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) we begin this final episode of season two. Such we saw part two. Both ships are raising shields and they're arming weapons. Pike gives a a speech to the crew. basically says, listen, we have to protect Burnham. And then uh, I love how he ends it. Oh, wait, that was later. Is it? Yeah. Well, basically he says, we got to protect Burnham. We got to... One squadron will go with Michael to protect her while she's flying away from the battle. The rest of us are going to create a shield wall against Section 31 ships and give her all the time that she needs. Keep Burnham safe is their only job. And he says, this is Starfleet. Get it done. Which Mm. is cool. Uh, So, meanwhile, in the lab, they're trying to assemble the Red Angel suit. And it's bonkers. Everyone Nan is there. Michael is there. Stamets is there. Reno is there. Tilly is there. Uh, Poe is there. And a bunch of other people are just, they're just screaming at each other. They're like, this has got to be like this. This has got to be like this. I think Giorgio's there. They're all putting the suit together in pieces rapidly and hurriedly while they're waiting for the, the time crystal to charge. Uh, so the they scan the fleet of Section 31 ships and there's only one life sign. It's only, it's only Leland. Uh, so uh, Leland and his drones and all the, the communications are still jammed. Tilly asks Saru for a final words of wisdom and Saru quotes Shun Tzu which is admired by Georgia because she's like, I'm surprised that a Kelpian would know Shun Tzu and uh, Saru letting us know that he is not quite happy with Georgia period, end of story, because remember where she comes from, they eat Kelpians. He's like, yeah, well, I'm a Kelpian, so deal with it. Uh, Leland hails Disco. And Saru says, listen, this may look like a human being, but it's not. And basically, 
when he shows up, Giorgio has a great line. She says, Leland, we were just talking about you. Everybody hates you. Congratulations. <laughs> and uh, Leland makes the demand. He says, give me what I want or you will all die for it. Saru orders him to surrender and stand down. He says, uh, I'm giving you one more chance. You can give me what I want or you're all going to die. Giorgio says, uh, well, we have over 200 vessels and you have, what, about 30? And then Leland says, count again. And then from the main flagship of Section 31 ships, like this, like swarm, this it's like almost dust in their numerousness, number of drones come floating off the hull of the ship. They're all weaponized and shielded and everything. And so it's like, I don't know. They never gave me a number, but I would say it was thousands upon thousands. I would say it was thousands <laughs> upon thousands of ships that come off of the Control 31 ship. So that's when we go to the credits because that's when you need to refill your popcorn. Uh, the Enterprise, when we come back, fires a full spread. The ships out in space are in a dogfight. Um, they take full hits from the Section 31 ships. Seven people die immediately in that first exchange of fire. On Disco, they're still rushing to finish the suit, and the time crystal is still one minute away from being uh, fixed, right? Uh, Poe contacts Pike. She's stolen one of their shuttles, and she invokes diplomatic immunity. She's like, hey, diplomatic immunity for stealing your shuttle, queen of a whole planet, remember? And she goes, by the way, just looking at these ships, it, it looks like you guys are going to get destroyed if you try to go against them because they're using a, quote, refracted lattice shield design. Whatever that means, it means that you can't attack them one-on-one. -on -one. You need two ships for each one of those drones, one to, to attack the forward part of the ship and one to attack the back part of the ship. And that's the only way to take them down. So Pike tells the squads, okay, change of plans, follow the queen. Meanwhile, on Disco, shields are at 70%, and Saru is working on keeping Discovery safe. Giorgio says, why don't you invite Leland onto the ship? That way he gives us time to talk, because he won't destroy the ship. He needs the information. Saru's like, I don't really trust you, and I don't trust your plan. And she's like, don't you think that I, you know, being who I am, would have come up with a better plan than just stall? But he's like, uh, I got bigger fish to fry. Uh, the drones, at that point, though, uh, they leave fighting Enterprise, and they all focus on Disco. This happens at about the same time that the uh, crystal is fully charged. So now Reno and Tilly are trying to get the crystal from the lab up near the bridge down to the engineering lab where the suit is being built so they can put it all together. And so they go down in the turbulence and we get this cool scene where like you see the turbulence is going down, but like there's explosions happening all over the ship and some turbulence are getting jacked up and it's pretty insane that they made it down there. Uh, Pike, uh, basically seeing all the drones are going for Disco, he puts Enterprise in the way of their attack. So Enterprise winds up taking like a full brunt of attacks as it tries to protect Discovery. Nonetheless, Discovery shields go down to 54% after that barrage. Uh, so Pike then starts targeting uh, Leland's ship, thinking that if we can destroy that ship, we can basically... This is how it's the whole Armada is being controlled. Armada is what I wanted to say, Armada. not Flotilla. Yeah, come on. Uh, just as they are getting the crystal to the suit, there is an, the, like one of the attacks hits engineering. There's a big explosion. Everyone gets knocked down, but they all seem to be okay. And then Stamus gets up and he puts the last little piece on the suit. Uh, but then we realize he's been critically wounded. He's got puncture wounds all over his body. He's been impaled by various sharp bits of metal. He falls over. So now Tilly... And Nilsson, whom you may remember, is the bridge officer that has replaced Arium, who was the bridge officer who got controlled by control, have to take Stamets to sickbay. Meanwhile, Michael and Spock are going to have to go with the suit and get ready to leave from one of the shuttle bays. At this point, because I wrote it down in my notes, Enterprise shields are at 60%. Discovery shields are at 38%. Sickbay is swamped. Uh, Michael and Spock are with the suit. Spock basically... Spock basically <laughs> tells Michael, listen, I'm going with you. I'm not just going to. The original plan was he would direct her on comms. But instead he says, no, 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 no. What we're going to do is I'm going to go out with a shuttle. You stay in my wake. I'm going to guide you through this and help you out from being right there. And he will not take no for an answer. They put the time crystal in the suit. Michael gets in that bad boy. 
and she looks dope. Okay. Uh, yep. Uh, basically, Saru tells everyone Michael's going to need once she's out of the 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 uh, not the airlock, but once she's out of the like shuttle bay, she's going to need two minutes and forty seven seconds to get a clear enough distance away to open up a wormhole. And so he tells the squadron that was sent to protect her. She needs to be cocooned by ships during this entire flight because she's just in the suit. And this is what we were talking about right before we started talking about this episode. It was one of the coolest visuals, I think, of the episode was yeah. Michael flying in a suit on thrusters. And then she's being surrounded by like a spiraling cocoon of smaller aircraft that are taking hits and like firing back and trying to keep her protected. She does at one point get hit by some shrapnel, but she recovers. And uh, the mm-hmm. battle group. The, the rest of the battle groups create a shield wall around there and they will let nothing through until Michael opens up the wormhole in the like 30 seconds. Oh no, not 30. Excuse me. I wrote it down here in the three seconds that disco had to let its shields down for Michael and Spock to get out of the airlock. Something beamed aboard the discovery. And just as they realize that on the bridge, the door to the turbolift opens and guess who's there. Leland. And he starts laying down phaser fire all over the place, but he doesn't kill a bunch of people because he is trying to get the information. So he shoots a lot, a, a ton, but uh, I don't think anyone gets critically injured from his shooting. And he basically goes through into the laboratory area to where he thinks that the sphere data is being held. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Giorgio and Nan go after him while the rest of the bridge crew basically stay on task. Uh, Enterprise is informed that Leland is on disco, but there's nothing they can do about it because they can't go over there while the shields are up. And, you know, basically they're stuck, basically hoping things go well. Um, Leland has locked himself in the, I guess what we call the like computer room. (laughs) And he's trying to access the data. And so Giorgio and Nan are trying to break into the, the, that room using like the manual controls. Uh, so Michael reaches her safe destination. They land on what looks like a, I would say, some sort of asteroid or planetoid, some bit of chunk or like whatever. It's the ship and Michael, and she's trying to set a course for 930 years in the future, so into Terralysium. Uh, but the ship will is stuck in present mode, quote, present. It won't let her go into the future. Uh, at that moment, while they're trying to figure that out, we get a close-up view of a torpedo launching from the Control 31 like mothership towards Enterprise, and it goes and it slams into the hull. It embeds in the hull. It does not detonate. It was the vision that both Michael and um, Reno had. Uh, and we find out that if it does blow up, because it's undetonated, it will rip a hole in the ship four decks wide, in the saucer section, which mm-hmm. is a big chunk of the saucer section. Um, Michael realizes seeing this, that this is the moment that she saw in her vision. And so Pike sends drones out to try and get in ready to repair once they can figure out what's going with that. And he sends number one and Cornwell down to dis- to disarm the torpedo manually. Michael is still trying to get the signals set, but she can't do it, and they don't can't quite figure out why. Giorgio and Nan are almost through. Discovery shields are at 11% at this point. There is an incoming massive energy signature, uh, not having to do with control or the Enterprise ships, and guess who that is? Hit me with a dun-dun-dun! It's none other than the Klingon Cleave ship, as well as some Ba'ul fighters. Ba'ul's the other race from the planet Kaminar, where the Kelpians come from. It's Serana leading a fleet of Ba'ul fighter ships. And who brought the Klingons and the Ba'ul? Why, it was none other than everyone's friendly, half-human, partially mind-melded Klingon... Tall hottie with a beard from Section 31. His name is Ash Tyler, ladies and gentlemen. Ash Tyler is on the bridge of a Klingon ship. It looks like the bridge of a Klingon ship, for those of us who have seen many of those in our TNG days. It does. And he's there with Laurel, and Laurel gets on the horn with Pike, and she's like, send me the information. 
because our 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 ship is coming through, and we're about to we're about to lay into these bad boys with some Klingon Klingon nests. And so Pike is like, "All right, we got some people showing up." And uh, Lorel shouts to her people. Now let's see. I wrote this down. It is. Uh, and they repeat that is it is a good day to die yes it is it, well, according yes. to yeah well I don't know <laughs> listen I like to write down Klingon phrases that one may end up on a poster and so uh, with that battle cry the Klingons and the Kelpians join the fight it is at this moment, though, that Spock, ever the clever, figures out that, listen, the the, the first signal's purpose, uh, the, the signal, the one where they went to the Kelpians, was not simply to free the Kelpians of their cycle of, like, dominance by the Ba'ul. It was also so that the Kelpians would be ready to aid them in this fight. And so he posits that the Michael, the Michael who was the, the Red Angel, knew that in this moment, that Michael must have seen this moment, seen that the two ships were overwhelmed and known that they would need help. And so it was Michael as the Red Angel who set the signal over Kaminar. And so they reason that actually Michael has to go first back in time and set the signals, each of the four signals that uh, the Enterprise, that the Discovery has been following in order for them to be ready for this battle before she can go into the future. Uh, as she's figuring that out, Leland is unable to find the data that he needs in the room, and Nan and Giorgio arrive. And Giorgio basically says, oh, you were looking for that data? There's some good information back and, good, like, uh, back and forth, taunting. And Giorgio says, like, she holds up that little quantum amplifier thingy that they use to hold the information. And she goes like, oh, your information you're looking for is not here. I know where it is. And then they both run away. So now Leland has to follow them to get the information that he needs. Brilliant stalling tactic. Uh, okay, so Cornwell and number one, meanwhile, have gotten to the torpedo and the secondary detonation process has already begun. And so 15 minutes until that torpedo blows up, they tried to get two bulkheads down on either side of it, but only one went down. The second one is completely jacked up and cannot be brought down. Okay? So Tilly, meanwhile, uh, goes back to the bridge once she drops Stamets off in, in sickbay. She wishes that she could stay, but she needs to get back to the bridge, back to her, her station. However, Nilsen uh, stays to help the doctor out because sickbay is just swarmed with people. There's like people on the floors, people on all the beds, they're screaming, there's blood everywhere. And their nice white uniforms are covered in blood. Yes. Well, you know, doctors do wear white. It's a weird thing. I guess so you see blood, you know, so it's yeah. not a surprise. Don't wear red if you're going to be a doctor. Well, no, but in any other iteration of Trek, they have not worn white. They've worn green, I think. Or yeah, Well, Beverly wore blue. They were just basically science She had a officers. green coat. She, she had, had a green, green coat that she coat. would throw down, yeah, when she wanted to wear, wear her doctor's coat. Yes. Doctor in Voyager was green, I think. No, he, he was, was blue. He was a hologram. He said he was, I'm sure it was a green uniform. I think you need to Google it. Uh-huh, uh-huh, I think uh-huh. you need to, if you want to. If you want to. It is green, my friend. It's green? It is green. Gosh. Yep. The emergency medical hologram had a green uniform on Discovery. I mean, to be fair, no, in Voyager. Not really. But it's like the top of it. Don't forget, like, it's always, everything's black except the top, and it was just the top that was green. Oh, so weird. Yes, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, because they were wearing the the onesies that are black except for the shoulder blades. Yeah. All right, well, I stand... Correct it. Step no, two. don't apologize. Step Never apologize. Two. Nil. I'm I'm down. Down all the way down. <laughs> okay. Well, where was I though? You're doing okay, a great so. job with this though. I just got Thanks, Steph. while Paul is lying on the gurney, Hugh shows up. Hugh apparently came back from the Enterprise and he says Paul's injuries are severe, and so he's going to induce a coma. And so he hits him with the thing. And while he's working on his injuries and saying, you're about to fall asleep, he says, I was over on Enterprise and I was thinking about what you said and I was thinking about us and I was thinking about trying to find my way home. And then I realized you are my home. You are my family. Wherever you go, wherever we go from here, we go together, he says. And then Stamets passes out with a smile on his face. 
so which is a great end to that story. I love that mm-hmm. they wrap that up. That was nice. So, meanwhile, Michael and Spock, they're on that weird chunk of whatever. Michael is setting all five jumps, all the five previous jumps, so that she can go back in time and alert all the things that Discovery needs to do in order to eke out survival survival in this battle. Spock's vessel is hit by an, like an errant stray energy beam or something. He's hit, but he's not dead, and he tells Michael to go. And so, in one of the weirdest and coolest visuals probably of the series so far, Michael jumps into the past. Uh, it's a trippy sequence in which she goes into like a weird hole in the universe, and then she's flying through a bunch of like light and sparks, and she's screaming, and then eventually she figures things out, and she her eyes take on a clarity, and then the, the, the suit tells her that she's arriving above the USS Hiawatha on Stardate 1025.19. And that's where they found Jet Reno and uh, the injured people on the Hiawatha from the Klingon War. And that's where Michael injured herself, remember, on her way out when everything was falling apart and she saw the Red Angel and we thought it was her mother. It was not. It was Michael! Yes. Yeah, Harry Potter much, but I liked it nonetheless. It was a nice moment. Then she jumps to Terra Elysium and on star date 1027.32. Did I write all the star dates down? You know that I did. And on Terra Elysium, that's where they uh, prevent the like the the asteroids from crashing into the planet, but they also gave that guy like a battery so that he could turn the lights on or whatever. But the asteroid had that special, well, the asteroid is the one that gave Tilly the weird uh friend infection but also it helped them manipulate dark matter right and then she jumps to Kaminar on stardate 1035.86 and remember everything was going south and things were falling apart and Saru and his sister were in that weird spacecraft that was coming out of the water and then the red angel shows up to them that red angel was not Dr. Gabrielle Burnham it was Michael Burnham okay so we'll come back to the rest later the fight with Leland continues, and it's Nan and Giorgio versus Leland. And Leland, remember, is basically a machine at this point. So they're keeping him at bay, but he's really pounding the crap out of them. And they get him to follow them to like a weird corridor in a certain section, but then a bit of a chunk of the hull gets taken out, and two random people get sucked out into space, and then the gravity fails in that area. So now they're fighting as the ship is moving without artificial gravity. So it's like on the ground, then on the wall, then on the ceiling, then on the ground, then on the wall, then on the ceiling. Crazy fight sequence. I don't think this gets enough credit as a sequence because of all the other cool visuals that happened, but I thought it was great. This running three-person fight in like a rolling tube, essentially. Uh, Mm. It was great. I was definitely wondering how they did that, but I guess they must have... Maybe they had the tube and they rotated it. Just rolled the camera around. I don't know how they did it. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So... Uh, the shields are down because of that uh, that last blow. And now Tilly, who was on her way back to the bridge, is the closest one to where the shields can be repaired. And so she is the one who's going to have to go repair the shields. She's only ever done this once, blindfolded in like the Academy as, as a drinking game. But nonetheless, she's going to go do it. The grav systems are still failing and the walls are circling. And we get to see how the ship moves and it looks terrible. terrible. Gravity gets restored. Giorgio shoots Leland in the face. He's temporarily disabilized while he's like weird green face thing comes back together. And uh, she runs out. Meanwhile, the Admiral and number one are looking at that torpedo on Enterprise. It can't be disabled. And there's nothing they can figure out to do with it. And they can't get the the second bulkhead door down. So Pike orders number one back to the bridge. And he's going to go down with the Admiral and try to help figure things out. Admiral shakes number one's hand on number one's way out of the door. On the Klingon ship, uh, they're taken on fire and they're starting to get banged around and bloodied up and they are laughing about it because they're Klingons. In fact, Laurel says, quote, uh, and I thought that my chancellorship would be bloodless. Ha 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 ha. They all laugh. Then she says in Klingon, to fire on all the enemy ships, we will wade knee-deep through the ruin of our enemies. No, I yes. didn't learn how to say that in Klingon. I only have so much time. No, that was the one I thought you were going to mention earlier, but I like that one. I do love wade that one. Knee yeah, deep yeah. Through, through the, the ruin, ruin of, of our, our enemies. enemies. And then they're all like, <laughs> which is great. 
Michael, meanwhile, is still setting signals. She goes to set the signal on Borath on 1048.66 is where they got the time crystal. And then she sets the signal right above Zahia on the very same day, the start at 1050.8. So everything is now in place. Michael has set all the signals. She returns back to the present. She sets the wormhole to go 930 years into the future to Terra Elysium, where her mother is. Discovery may have trouble following. How will they be able to follow her? Because the fluctuations in the wormhole make it hard to track her on their system. So Michael says she will set another signal. She will set a big red signal, which they can follow through the wormhole to find her. That's the sixth signal. Meanwhile, Pike is headed to the torpedo room. Leland and Georgia are still fighting. They're now in engineering. Leland's like, boom, boom, boom. They're not down the stairs and the thing. And finally, he gets Giorgio up against the, the like, dark matter. Oh, what is it called? The, like, the glass, uh, whatever it's called, where Stamets puts the needle in his arm and does spore the, the spore, spore spa. Spore he sauna? Gets, what, we, gets, yeah, what is the real I'm name? Gonna, we were calling there it was an, It was, like, four episodes ago. It's called, like, the spore cube or something. But... That's what he's got Georgia up against. And he's like, ah, you thought you were so clever, but I figured out how you think, like, you're the easiest mind to crack. The information is in, this is this is what you wanted most about Discovery, their, their advanced technology, the spore drive. So this is where you would have hidden the information. And Giorgio nods. And just as he sort of, like, releases her tension on her neck, she does some kind of cool move. And kicks him into the spork tube and locks the door behind him and starts running for the panel. He says, you think this cage can hold me? And he starts breaking the glass. He's hitting the glass. He's not breaking it, but he's cracking it. And it's pretty terrifying. Pike and Cornwell are at the torpedo. They have 90 seconds till detonation. The Admiral says, listen, I can bring down this door from the inside. And, and then the front part of the ship, it'll blow, but everyone else will be safe. Pike says, I should do it. The Admiral says, this is not your end, and I think you know it, and we all know it because Pike saw what his end was when he touched the time crystal, and it was way worse. So she convinces him that he has to stick around. Pike goes. The Admiral closes the door, turns around, looks at the torpedo, and dies. An explosion. As that's happening, Michael sets her course. She's ready to go, but then she hears from Spock. He says the, the the direct hit that he took has disabled his engines. He can no longer follow her. He can't get back to the Discovery. He can't follow her through the wormhole. So she must go without him. And so they exchange a tearful goodbye. She says, you know, uh, they basically exchange their feelings of love. He says, you always helped me be balanced. You were, you were my rock. She goes, it was always inside of you. He says, I don't know how I'll go on without you. And she says, there is a galaxy of people out there. Uh, who will reach out for you. All you need to do is reach back. Find one who is the most different from you and reach back to them. Yeah. Easter egg, James Tiberius Kirk. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Spock says, I would just like to know that you got through safe. That's the only thing I, I worry about. And she says, all right, well, then I'll send one final signal back through the wormhole and it'll be the seventh signal and it will confirm that we got through all right. Meanwhile, Leland is banging on the glass and Giorgio's at the console and she says, hey, uh, listen, you can stop banging on the glass. You're never going to get through because guess what? I magnetized the inside of the sphere cube. And he's like, say what? The spore cube. And he's like, what? Say what? What's what? And she's like, yeah, you're going to die painfully. Uh, Pike returns to the bridge. He gets the message from Spock that his engines are disabled. They transport Spock onto the Enterprise. Tilly fixes Discovery shields. They are back up to 40%. Spock transports to Enterprise. Burnham sets the course and jumps away from the battle. And Discovery is following her. And a bunch of tiny drones are following them. Right? So the remaining vessels now are just focusing fire on those vessels following Discovery and Michael to keep the path clear. Pike and Saru say goodbye over the ship-to-ship -ship communications. And then Giorgio says... You're about to die, and I would love to hear you scream while you do it. And sure enough, Leland does die inside the spore chamber because he was made of nanobots, which can be subjected to magnetic pressures. He's ripped apart into his component nanobots. And as that happens, all the drones die because Leland apparently himself was the controlling entity. And so the rest of the vessels open fire and control is completely neutralized. And they all watch Discovery and Michael go through the wormhole. Uh, the bridge crew 
with the last we see of Discovery, their faces are being all phased and weird. And they're some of them are looking terrified and some of them are looking sad and some of them are looking excited to be going 930 years into the future where only Michael's mom has gone before. Epilogue. San Francisco. Present day. Well, not present day. Present day for, for them. <laughs> I quite liked when we get that first vista of San Francisco and you get the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. And the Golden Gate Bridge actually has solar panels on it. So it's not being panels, used yeah. for anything. Yeah, well, there's no cars. Come on. Not. They transport. Yeah. I just like it. Was cute. It was cool. It was just a real nice attention to detail. Uh, a detail, yes. They were like, why would you have still this bridge up? It would have some purpose or some beauty or some mm. function apart from just being a landmark. So it was a cool moment. And also, nothing says San Francisco uh, Starfleet headquarters like the Golden Gate Bridge. Because we always get that whenever we're watching Star Trek, and they we get we get that in the background, don't we? But I don't. I've never seen anyone else like I've never no seen another iteration of yeah. Because I assume every other one has just been a normal helicopter shot of <laughs> the Golden Gate Bridge. They're like San Francisco. Don't look too close. It's uh, twenty two twenty five. Uh, okay, so now we're watching a a faceless officer debriefing Ash Pike Number One Spock. Uh, not George. Oh no, George was gone. So those those people, and basically they're stonewalling this guy. They're like, "Oh, Discovery got destroyed. Something happened with their spore drive, and they exploded. It was a shame. George was on the ship. Michael was on the ship. They asked questions about Michael, and they're like, "No, Michael was an exemplary officer, and she died in the line of duty. Uh, and we were able to destroy all of control. Uh, so two very important things happen in this debriefing moment at the end." Of the episode one is that ash tyler is made the no more no longer acting but full-on director of section 31 at this moment and two spock says because of the danger of even inquiring about control and the sphere data and and other such things like that none of the people involved none of starfleet none of the families of of the officers can ever speak about the red angel uh discovery the spore drive or any of the crew that were part of that ever again. It has to be an official thing. And they, and the faceless uh, interviewer says, we'll take that under advisement. I always wondered why he was so faceless as if that was an important detail, Mm. but there was no Easter egg or anything. No, but it does explain obviously why we'd never heard of discovery or their crew before. Yes, indeed. True enough. Right. Why Spock and, and why Spock never mentioned his sister Mm. to anyone right uh so the very final scene is spock it's been 124 days he's alone in his room on the enterprise he looks at his blue uniform his classic enterprise blue uniform he looks in the mirror looks at his beard he's speaking to michael in a personal log and says that he misses her but that they're all going to keep the secret he looks for the signals every night and he knows that time is relative Time is relative. Time is relative. The next shot we see is Spock on the bridge of the Enterprise, looking like Spock. Haircut, beardless, blue uniform, eyebrows prominent. They see the seventh signal, which is 51,000 light years away from where they are. Uh, Enterprise is all repaired. Uh, Spock sits down at his station. Pike asks number one where they should go. She says, you're the captain, captain. He says, well, there was that new moon that we just heard about. He tells them to set a course. They say they're ready. Pike says, hit it. The end. Done. Donezo. C'est fini. Wowzer. Oh, boy. Enfin. Enfin. Woo. Okay. So, listen. Uh... Do you want to do just quick stats? We had a couple little stats. Absolutely. Set phases to stats. We had two red alerts. One by Pike. One by Saru. And I just threw the paper away. But I feel like one of the red stats... Red alert! Always, thank you. Sorry. It's late on that. No, it's important. And I feel like one of the stats should, anytime a Klingon says, it's a good day to die, that's a stat. So we had one instance of it's a good day to die, which I don't know if I can remember. It's like, heck, 
something. Ach, jam vam. No, it's close. I probably, I probably just said it's a good die day or something. Close enough. Uh, yeah. Okay. Quotable moments. Quotable moments. So, Steph, you had one that you particularly liked. Let me just pull that up very quickly. It was Giorgio to Michael. And they were talking about their plan or Michael's plan to get in the suit and shoot herself over to the coordinate she needs to be at to set up the wormhole and all this stuff. And Giorgio says, this is stupid. You flinging yourself into the future like some galactic rubber band with a martyr complex. Yes, that was great. That was a real dressing down, yeah. real, real mom energy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is stupid. Uh, yeah. Uh, I had two, I had many quotes, most of them I put in the actual rundown, but one that I really enjoyed was Sarek in the penultimate episode. He says, it is the secret wish of every parent that our children write the mistakes we ourselves have made. And I thought that was sweet. It was the last real message that Michael will get from her adoptive parents ever. Because I think Cleons live they live to be like 200 some odd years old, but none of them will survive mm. unto 930 years from now. Uh, and then I also like the Sun Tzu quote, mm. which is really Sun Tzu, but whatever, I'll say it. It was, be extremely subtle, even to the point of formlessness. Be extremely mysterious, even to the point of soundlessness. Thereby, you can be the director of your opponent's fate. Yep, that was a good one. That was a good one. And that, my friends, my my country people, that was season two of Star Trek Discovery. We did it. Oh, uh, we did it just and just under the just. wire because this coming Thursday, fifteenth mm. of October. I was, yes, the fifteenth of October is the premiere of season three. Yeah. of Star Trek Discovery. It's happening now, folks. Yep. Part of what's happening now. The present is all we have, to quote Spock. So uh, do we want to theorize yet? Or should we... Should we, should we I mean, like, it's do we a good guess, question. Or do we want I to mean, just wait and see? We know they're in the future. Mm. And I think we kind of... Well, here's my theory. They all got through, but Michael somehow got separated from Discovery. Mm-hmm. And... So it's going to be a while before they can figure out how to get back together. And also the time crystal will have died because it finally burnt out. Mm. Right. Yeah. So they're all on Terra Elysium, I guess that was the plan, but maybe they didn't make it to Terra Elysium. Yeah. It's hard to say. Cause I think when some of the trailer images, you see a sort of very burnt vista of a planet. And then in others, you see a very, like a, a sort of beautiful looks like Terra Elysium type planet. So who knows? And I just saw, yeah. oh, and I just saw the opening scene. Oh, I still haven't seen it. How That's was it? That's what I saw. It was good. And it's literally the the, the, the next moments of, you know, Michael flying oh. through the wormhole. Oh. Yeah. And uh, spoiler, um, she bumps into somebody who's, you know, uh, the character whose name I'm, I don't think we know yet. Book. Is it book? Okay, so she sort of bumps into him and then her, her suit's buggered and she has to crash land on a planet along with him. And then we don't know where Discovery is, but we see then, we yeah, but in the trailer we then see um, that they meet up later. Yes, indeed. Indeed. But you don't well, This see... is going to be very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just uh, let's Sunday night, Monday, mm-hmm. Tuesday, Wednesday, three more sleeps. So I actually meant October 13th. Three more sleeps. Until Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 1. And we'll be just covering one episode and episode again. It's oh. going to be truly magical. Uh, we should probably be doing this all over the next time. Four sleeps. Yes, let's do that. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. On Wednesday. Phasers. Yeah, four sleeps. Mm. Uh, okay, well, next time we will do... The beginning of season one, none of us have seen it. So we will be going with it as you go with it. It should be very exciting. All we have is the title. The title is That Hope Is You. So 
let's let's hope it's good. Yeah. It is uh it is I noted directed by the same person who directed the final episode of season two. So may it be as beautiful and stunning. Um yeah, well so we will cover that. When we cover that, we might be a little late on Friday night because I have some unexpected business, business. to take care of. But uh, look to our, our socials and we'll let you know what's going on there. So as always, thank you for joining us. If you enjoy the program, you can catch us every Friday at 8 p.m. Unless we tell you otherwise, Eastern Standard Time on Facebook <laughs> or as a podcast every Monday, wherever podcasts come from. And if you check us out, please rate and subscribe. We are on Facebook and the old Instagram at Set Phasers Podcast. Feel free to follow us and join in the conversation of all things Trek. If you want to support us on our continuing mission to discover what Discovery has in store for us, we'd only be delighted. You can patronize us. We can take it by going to patreon.com slash set phasers. Along those lines, I feel I should mention that one of our, our top level patrons is uh, Mr. Kyle Jaster, and we shout him out and thank him for his ongoing support. Thank you, Commander Kyle. We appreciate you. Um, we appreciate you. And to anyone else who wants to join as a patron, we are doing our next Netflix... What, I can never say that. Netflix watch party we're doing our next netflix next, next in a couple of weeks time um so we'll po- we'll be posting about what which episode we're going to watch there the first one was very fun mm, was pretty great indeed yeah. well until next time i am steph mans and i am aki burmese and this has been set phasers a highly illogical star trek podcast computer end program mm-hmm.